Hey, we are Brandon and Bethany Nutter, and we are so thankful for Centerville Community Church. It has been an incredible year here, uh, just sharing your lives with us, being able to participate with the church. Uh, we haven't been here for 10 years, and it's been such a joy to re-engage uh, with the life and the body of Centerville Community Church. This year, as we've moved into this house, it's been a, a real challenge, because when we showed up, we had two suitcases each, and that was it. We had no furniture, we had no, uh, no appliances, nothing, and the Centerville of several have been so generous to fill this house with furniture, appliances, all the things that we've needed to make this place our home. And even for our kids, this has just been such a good year for them. We, you know, this is where we grew up, and so to have them live here and, and really understand why this is home and um, be woven into their story of who they are uh, has been really neat. And Centerville has been such a huge part of that. They have been so welcomed. The kids program has been something they look forward to every week. They don't want to miss a Sunday. Um, the kids have welcomed them in and it's just given them a community that we don't have for them in the Dominican. They don't have programs where they're pouring into kids this way or to this degree in church. And so um, this has been huge for them. They're really gonna miss it. The only negative part of this year has been our waistline. <laughs> uh, coming back to Centerville, we've really missed Bill's. Been a few too many times. Skyline, Archers, all the great local food, Marion's Pizza, uh, that has not been <laughs> kind to us this year. So we blame Centerville for that. For me, Centerville holds so many memories and things over the years and ways that people there have poured into my life. And this year in particular, it was really sweet to be part of the women's Bible study. When you're in ministry, most of the time you're pouring out into other people. And um, it's an amazing thing to be able to serve and, and be used, but uh, this year was incredibly, um, an incredible blessing for me just to be able to be a part of the Women's Bible Study, just to be there and be fed and be loved on by other women and um, no expectation, but just the um, fulfilling and um, that time spent um, just studying the word with other women was such a good thing and um, has given me so much to, to go back with. Um, and to be able to continue serving um, as, as the Lord has filled me through that, I can continue to use that and pour that out in ministry as we head back. As we launch into another term as missionaries, it's super uh, encouraging. It feels stabilizing to know that we have the church behind us, uh, to be able to witness all that God is doing at Centerville, baptism, salvations, the ministries that are going on, produces a lot of confidence in us be able to launch off into a little bit of a scary season. Even just recently, as we were sitting there last week, part of Centerville's Vacation Bible School was such a sweet reminder to me of the years when I was there as a kid, um, loving being part of that ministry and, and uh, people pouring into my life. And then years as we were adults, um, helping with it, figuring out ministry and, and how to serve as a couple. Now coming back this time was uh, pretty amazing having our kids in there, seeing them in the place that I once was and loving it as much as I have always and, um, and being able to serve on that side of things. Uh, it's something that over all these years has continued to serve families and community and our family even in particular. And so there aren't enough words to express how special that is. Centerville Community Church, we are so grateful for you, all that you've done for us this year. And I've said it before, but Envision Dominican Republic is a ministry of Centerville Community Church. 
We are part of it and we love it. We are grateful for you. We'd love to see you in the Dominican. If you can make it down, we have a guest house and our door is always open and there's always coffee in the coffee pot. Dios le bendiga. Estamos a su orden. Brandon's going to come and share. They're taking off this week um, to back to the Dominican Republic, to a new area, a new town. And we couldn't be more excited for them and thankful for them, uh, for the partnership and ministry they are uh, with us. And uh, we're going to be praying for them and the family at the end of service today. Uh, but let's welcome Brandon to the stage. Well, good morning. It's great to be uh, here with you again uh, this Sunday. And I want to just reiterate what was, we said on the video. We are incredibly grateful for the investment in our lives uh, over the years. And I really do mean that our ministry is a ministry of Centerville Community Church because of the immense impact that this, ha this place has had on our lives, all the way from like infancy. I know Bethany grew up here and was on staff here for a little while. Just the, what you've poured into us has just made it an incredible, incredible difference. Uh, as I've been on tour this year speaking at churches about our ministry, I've asked uh, to do a few things that make me feel more at home, more like uh, the Dominican. And as we get ready to go back this week, I'm even more anxious to be there. So I'm going to do those three things, uh, and we'll do them in order. The first one is that any time, and I've done this before, so let's see if anybody remembers, because I just miss it a lot, is anytime anyone has the microphone, they're preaching, singing, giving announcements, it doesn't matter what, they always start off by saying the same thing. They say, Dios le bendiga, which means, anybody? Anybody know? God bless you. And then the audience responds with amen, which in English means amen. Um, and then uh, the speaker will say, Dios le bendiga mas, which means God bless you more. And the church, the really holy people in the church, the second time around say amen or amen really, really loud. So we're going to practice that. So Dios le bendiga. Dios le bendiga mas. There we go. The second thing that we do in the DR, and I have not had one church take me up on this, but in the DR it's really hot. Uh, I'm thankful that it's been hot the last couple of weeks, kind of prepping us to go back. Uh, but in our churches, we don't have air conditioning, all but maybe one or two of our churches. And so if, it's, if you're not sweating, you're, it's not church. So I've asked every church this year to turn their thermostat up to about 90, and not one has done In fact, a couple times I've seen ushers kind of like guard the thermostat in case anybody tries to make a move. And it just hasn't happened. Uh, it's a little chilly. I'm a little chilly. The third thing uh, that uh, our churches typically do in the Dominican is their services are anywhere from three to five hours long. And uh, as we're in the second service, there's nothing going on after. Uh, we preach for an hour to hour and a half there. Amen. So buckle up. Uh, here we go. No, I, I promise I won't go that long. I wanted to share this morning, uh, we're going to be looking at the book of Luke chapter 12, a parable that Jesus gave starting in, I believe, verse 13. Uh, it's just a really powerful story that he gives that I think still in the modern day, in the 21st century, 2019, is incredibly applicable to our lives. But I want to start out with a story. In 1998, uh, I was, I just graduated from high school, getting ready to go to college. It was the summer in between. And uh, as really basically from the age of 10 to till then, even still somewhat, um, not, though now not nearly as much, golf was my life. I would play sometimes 54 holes in a day. 
I'd play 18 and then play 18 more, and then my dad would get home, finish work, and we'd play nine more. Uh, I just loved it, loved it, loved it. And one day in particular, I was playing incredibly well, one of the best rounds of my life. And I was through eight holes. I was one under par, and this is at NCR Country Club where we belonged. That's how I could get away with playing so much. Uh, and so I was on the eight, ninth tee box, one under par. And this particular hole is about 175 yards long. And back then, I had zeroed in my game to I was playing pretty well. I was, I was at that point one under. If we go now, I'm just happy to play bogey golf. That's all I want. But back then, I was really dialed in. And we used to draw a chalk line uh, around the actual pin where it would be about 10 feet all the way around. And the goal with every shot wasn't just to get it on the green, but it was actually to stick it in that little circle so that you would always have a birdie opportunity. So I'm stepping up to the ball. about 175 yards out. I take my 7-iron. And I hit this ball, and it's a decent shot, but I'm, a, I'm actually about five feet outside of the circle. And I am livid with myself. I throw the club, it hits my bag, I, and I say all kinds of things that if I said them here, I'd never be invited to speak again. In fact, Kedrick, you might come up and remove me. I was not, it was not a proud, one of the proudest moments of my life. And as I finish the hole, I part the hole, there's a halfway house at the turn, and I go inside, and there's, there's this elderly couple in there and who I had met that summer and gotten to know a little bit because I'd see them frequently. And they said, oh, Brandon, it's so good to see you. We want to introduce you to some of our friends. And I said, oh, okay. And they, they bring me over, and they say, this is Brandon. This is the young man we were telling you about who's about to study for ministry. And my, like, heart just dropped. I just felt sick to my stomach. Did they hear what I said up there. Did they see me throw the club? Because I was so angry. And God did a work in my heart that day. He said, this has become a God to you. You have to change. See, golf for me was kind of the American dream. I wanted to pursue this as a, potentially as a career, or at least play in college at minimum. I loved it with everything. It became everything. And I was pursuing this. And the American dream basically is the idea that Life should be better, richer, and more complete for all, with opportunities for each according to his capacity or performance, regardless of social class or the circumstance of birth. We pursue riches or a sport or having the right car or house or family, whatever it is, with 100% of our being, whether it really has any eternal significance or not. It says, the American dream is rooted in the Declaration of Independence, which proclaims that all men are created equal with the right to life, freedom, and pursuit of happiness. And I feel that in my life, I was completely consumed with the pursuit of happiness, which for me was getting the perfect golf round. That was all that I was pursuing, even though I was getting ready to pursue ministry. I was going to Bible college, and I had that kind of behavior. But in this story in Luke chapter 12 that we're going to be reading, if you have your Bible and you want to turn there, it'll be on the screen as well. Starting in verse 16, Jesus gives a parable to the people that he's with this day, and I think he's actually laying out our modern American dream. He's laying out the idea that we want bigger and better and more and more and more, but really to what end? So I'm going to read the whole thing, and then we're going to go back and look at it a little bit verse by verse. Verse 16 he says, and he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. 
And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be, is required of you. And the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? Whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. I was laying up treasure for myself. and My life was not a life lived richly for God. See, I, as he pursued this American dream, there's a few mistakes that he made along the way. And, sim- and we all make this mistake. I still regularly make this mistake. Verse 16, he references, actually in verse 17, he says, what shall I do for I have nowhere to store? And what pronoun does he use? My crops. Where shall I store my crops? Where shall I store my car? All the things that, that we have. In fact, this is so much the American dream that it sounds to me like, especially in the verse, next verse, I will do this, I'll tear down my barns. He's looking for a storage unit. Uh, when we first went overseas, we actually had a bunch of stuff we didn't really want to get rid of. And so we put it in a storage unit for a little while so that it could just sit there for who knows how many years. What value was there in that? Absolutely none. So the first mistake that he makes here and that we so many times make is we refer to the things that God has given to us as mine. Mine, mine, mine. And it's not that this guy was not a hard worker. It obviously says in verse 16, if you look at it, it says, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. This guy became rich one of two ways. He either inherited a lot of this or he worked really hard uh, or both, probably both. And being a good farmer, a good businessman, his crops produced plentifully, right? If you produce wealth in your life, you go on to produce, and you're smart about it, what? More wealth. That's not necessarily a bad thing. But he refers to this stuff as my stuff. Even if we work hard, even if we invest our life in producing wealth, and we've earned it, the talents, the energy, the intelligence, all of those things are gifts from God. We are only stewards of the things that God has given to us. And when we invest them for his kingdom, we are rightly placing who that stuff belongs to. It is not really our stuff. It's ultimately his. It goes on in verse uh, 18 or 17. Uh, you know, this farmer, as he, as he builds his stuff, he goes into verse 18. He says, I will do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. It sounds to me like he's building his financial portfolio. He's wanting to do better and better and have you know, exponential growth with interest and all those different things. He has bigger barns. It sounds so much like our lives. Bigger houses, nicer cars, better vacations. The list could go on and on and on. And these are many times the things that we pursue. So many times things that I catch myself pursuing. And the Lord has to check my heart so many times. Uh, I was born in uh, 1980. And uh, so I kind of straddle two different generations. I straddle the Gen X generation as well as the millennials. So I'm just enough cynical, but also think everything's entitled to me right now. Uh, But there's actually recently, as people pursue this American dream, people from Gen X, 
but especially the millennial generation, there was recently a, a study done on people who weren't getting everything right now. That the American dream really wasn't working out for them because we really find ourselves in one or two places as everyone, most people in this country, as we pursue this, there are really two results. And the first one is this. This was a study done by the International Journal of Epi Epidemiology. It says depression is on the rise among young millennials, even as typical risk factors such as substance abuse and antisocial behavior fall. Researchers looked at two groups of millennials, one born between 91 and 92, and second between 2000 and 2002. The researchers said that they found that the overall symptoms of both depression and self-harm had increased by age 14 in the younger cohort compared to the older one. Symptoms of depression increased from 9% to 15 between 2005 and 2015. Each time that they checked in, the rates went higher. What's more, the younger millennials report lower, lower overall risk factors, such as smoking. There is a lot less. Only a third of as many people are doing that. Drinking alcohol is significantly down, as well as fewer antisocial behaviors, and that's about half of what it was. It says, then it goes on to say, but what are the really reasons that we blame on incredibly high depression rates? What's going on? that is causing the millennial generation who maybe haven't made it, why are they feeling this way even though they're doing less stupid things? They came out and said, one, is social media. How many of us get on social media and think, man, they have the perfect life? They are living the American dream. I have a buddy of mine. Uh, he used to, used to be my boss in the National Office for the Alliance, and he, he switched to another organization. Uh, he's a good, fr decent friend of mine, and uh, I see his stuff on social media all the time, and a few years ago, he was living my dream, partly my dream. Uh, he travels all over the world. I think he racked up 200,000 miles in one year, uh, traveling all over the world. I'm like, man, that sounds so exciting. He is living the dream. Why am I not able to do that? What's wrong with me that I'm not having a job that takes me all over the world? Or whatever it is for you, the perfect family, the perfect house, the perfect car, the perfect vacation. We see vacation pictures, don't we? on social media that maybe, for some of us, that just aren't getting there causes depression. It could be we're pursuing the wrong thing. But some of us do make it. Some of us are living the American dream. We have the things that we were pursuing after. And John Piper, he shared a story about 20 years ago at my favorite sermon of all time. He was speaking to, the, I believe, the Passion Conference with tens of thousands of college students and he shared this story from the Reader's Digest. It goes like this. Bob and Penny took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, play softball, and collecting shells. That's it. Cruise on their trawler play softball, and they collect shells. So while they may not be suffering with depression at what they don't have, when they someday stand at the feet of Jesus, are they going to say, look at my seashell collection. Isn't it pretty? Is that what we are pursuing? When we get to heaven, are we going to share or show our shell collection to Jesus as we've pursued the American dream.
But I want to encourage you this morning. There is something so much better that God has for all of us. I want to read from Revelation chapter 7, starting in verse 9. And I really believe that this is ultimately what God has for us. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God. You see, the man in the parable, he said, I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax. Eat, drink, and be merry while he ignored the lost world around him. He ignored the lost world around him. He ignored the fact that one day people from every tribe, tongue, and nation will celebrate at the feet of Jesus. And I want to promise you this morning that if you pursue that, it is so much better than the American dream. It is so much better. While we may have depressing days, and as we're on the mission field, there are hard days. And it's, it's just tough. But there's not long, drawn-out seasons of depression where we don't have what we wanted to have. And there's not the emptiness of pursuing shells. People feel sorry for us as we go overseas, but I want to promise you we are living the most amazing life because we want to invest our lives in this image from the book of Revelation. Every tribe, tongue, nation worshiping at the feet of Jesus. Now I do want to say we do need bigger barns. We need people with good business sense who can grow a crop and multiply it and say, I've got all this stuff, where do I put it? Maybe we do need to build bigger barns. This last year, the Alliance sent out over 60 brand new missionaries to around the world to take the gospel to the darkest places where no one has ever heard the name of Jesus before. And if we're going to take the gospel, continue to take it to places where Jesus' name is never mentioned, we need bigger barns. We need the Great Commission Fund to continue to grow so that people can know who Jesus is, so that their place at the throne of God can be secure. They can know who he is. So I don't want to downplay the idea that maybe we do need bigger barns. We do. We need people to continue to give. But his error was in his narcissistic statement. How many of you occasionally see sports figures who refer to themselves in the third person? Doesn't that just drive you crazy? I can't. I thought about and when I was praying for the sermon to try to like do that and talk about myself in the third person as an example. Couldn't even bring myself to do it. It's just annoying. But this guy in this passage, he refers to himself in the third person. He's so wrapped up into his own dream. He says, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, and drink merry, and, and be merry. There is so much better. So much better. And the great part of this passage is that when God calls us to do this greater vision, this greater thing, whether we are going, whether we're sending, whether we are giving, he equips us for the task that he has called us to. Matthew chapter 28, at the very beginning, 
It says, and all authority has been given me, therefore go. And then in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says, and you shall receive what? You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the other ends of the earth. So my question for you this morning. Do you want depression and seashells or seashells? Or do you want power and authority? Knowing that what your life is invested in matters for eternity. My prayer for Centerville Community Church and for each and every one of you is that when we stand before God, he doesn't say to us, to me, to you, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Are you invested in the kingdom of God? Or are you invested in relaxing, eating, drinking, and being merry? I want to close this with just one verse as we think about the urgency of this task. The urgency of people knowing the name of Jesus. Revelation chapter 22 he says in verse 7, and as after I read this, I'm going to pray and invite the band to come back up. He says, and behold, I am coming quickly. Behold, I am coming quickly. Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the words of this prophecy of this book. Let's pray. God. We are so grateful that you have called us to so much more than an empty dream that results in us constantly feeling insufficient and unworthy and not making it or just a shallow, empty life. We thank you for the great privilege that you've called us to something so much greater, to invest in your kingdom. Lord, I pray that this church would really truly understand that the church doesn't have a mission. God, your mission has a church. I pray that we would be invested in that with all of our lives. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.